This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open up to Mark chapter 4, and uh, there are Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you, in the seat in front of you, under the basket, the Bible, and you can turn to page 490 uh, in that Bible. Well, as you're getting there, or turning on your device, or however you're finding it, let me say uh, happy Father's Day. Just echo Rob's comments earlier, and uh, I'd like to welcome uh, all of you. Uh, If you're a guest or newer around here, happy Father's Day to you. I'm not going to preach a Father's Day sermon, but I am going to make some application to fathers, so hopefully there'll be something in here that will be helpful and encouraging uh, to you. Uh, Yesterday on social media, uh, on Twitter, I saw someone commenting on the difference between Mother's Day sermons and Father's Day sermons, and they said Mother's Day sermons are, here's a flower you are wonderful for all that you do. And Father's Day sermons are, here's a Slim Jim beef snack, get your act together. So uh, I'm not gonna preach, here's a Slim Jim, get your act together. Uh, I I trust, I've got something a little more encouraging from this passage uh, for you today to trust in the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Here's the other thing, is that this is the last message in our series uh, called The Storyteller on Parables. So we've done, I think, nine messages-ish on parables, and this is the last one. And we're going to wrap it up where we began in chapter four of Mark. And next week, we're going to start a summer study. This will take us through the rest of the summer, uh, teaching through the book of Esther. And uh, I'm very excited about this study. Um, The series is called The Invisible Hand, God at Work in the Book of Esther. And so uh, Esther is by far the least religious book in the Bible. Um, There's really nothing about God in it. And so it's going to be interesting to spend our whole summer studying that book. Uh, Actually, God is present, but uh, it's his invisible hand that we see at work in the book. So I think it's going to be very helpful to understand how does the Lord work? How does the Lord work in our lives? How does the Lord work um, in our world when it appears that he's absent? What is he really up to? So that's what we're going to study through the book of Esther. And it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, story of all that happens there. Uh, But today we're going to wrap up where we began in Mark 4. Mark 4, the first parable uh, in Mark is about the sower sowing seed. That's where we started, a story about planting seed. And based on the seed being the word of God, based on how our hearts respond to the Lord, uh, then, then it shows how, what kind a crop comes from hearing the Word of God. And so that's where we started, and uh, we're going to finish in chapter 4 as well. Now, um, let me say this about a parable. Uh, If you're new, maybe you haven't been around, a parable is a story that Jesus told or a comparison that Jesus made using very familiar items, very familiar characters uh, in the first century world um, in Israel stories he told that have very unfamiliar spiritual truths to them. So he would tell a story that had familiar elements to it, but then he would reveal some kind of spiritual truth through it. And that's what he does in these. These two that we're going to read today are perhaps the most basic of all the parables uh, speaking about the promise and growth of the kingdom. So Mark 4 verse 26, and uh, we'll read down through 32. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. 
The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is grown, I'm sorry, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kingdom work. We thank you that you are at work in ways that we are unaware, and that's true even this morning as we gather to hear your word. So we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would give us your vision for what you are accomplishing through your kingdom, and we pray that we would be stirred today, each of us, with encouragement, with hope, and with patience to watch you at work. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Jesus tells two stories here, and they're both from the world of agriculture. They both have to do with planting and growing, and they're together because they are communicating some somewhat similar truths, and so we're going to look at them together this morning. First thing I want to talk about is uh, I need to give a definition of the kingdom of God, because he says most of the parables have been about the kingdom, and he says the kingdom of God is like this. And so the kingdom of God is not a place, like we think of a kingdom like maybe a location, uh, uh, somewhere with geographical borders. It's not like that. The kingdom is not a place. Rather, the kingdom is the place or, or the realm where the king reigns. So the kingdom of God is the place where God is acting as king. It's, it's, it speaks of the rule of God. It speaks of the realm of God. So the kingdom of God is found wherever people believe in the king. Wherever there are people who have believed in Jesus and trusted in Jesus for their salvation, wherever, wherever there's people who have received the work of Christ uh, in the cross and resurrection, what he did for us, wherever we people receive what he has done, there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is inhabited by people that believe in the king and what he has done. So it's the rule and the reign of God. So he says that, uh, that the kingdom of God is like someone scattering seed, so it is a man who scatters seed, plants seed. Uh, verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And so a guy goes and plants some seed. Very simple story here. Plants some seed and then goes to bed. Then wakes up and goes to bed and wakes up and goes to bed. In other words, he lives his life. He goes about his business and while he does, the plant is growing. The seed sprouts and grows. It says, he knows not how. That is a way of say, saying this, he does not make the seed grow. He doesn't know how it happens. He doesn't make it 
happen. Perhaps you've planted flowers or planted seeds for a vegetable garden or something like that and watched everything come up. Uh, day in, you, you know, you go to bed, wake up, go out and look, and it's, there's, there's progress. It's growing. And the reality is that you didn't make it grow. That's exactly what he is saying here. In fact, he uses some rather unusual language. He says, the, verse 28, the earth produces by itself. This word by itself is, you could transliterate, it's literally where we get the word automate. He's saying it's automatic. That the seed, when it's in good soil, automatically grows. Now, anyone hearing him say this, any good Jew, would have known that they believe that God brings the rains and God brings the growth. So it's not automatic as if there is no God. It doesn't mean that. But it happens, it produces on its own, and there is a process. There's a blade, an ear, and then full grain. And then when there's the full plant is, uh, is grown, the full crop is grown, uh, verse 29, when it's ripe, he puts in the sickle and he harvests the grain. Okay, that's a pretty simple story, isn't it? So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Is he advocating passivity? Is he saying, in essence, you can't do anything the seeds are planted, go to bed. I mean, it kind of looks like that. He goes to sleep, he wakes up. Is he saying that the Christian life is automatic? Is he saying that if you have faith, it will just magically grow and that it will just magically spread towards others, that others will just by osmosis magically uh, grow as well? I'm gonna say this once, and I'm not going to build fences throughout the sermon because I'm going to let the text have it say. But I do need to say that is not what it's meaning. The Bible never advocates passivity. Page after page, the Bible calls us to not only action, but vigorous action. So do we all understand that the Bible does not teach let go and let God. The Bible does not teach us to do nothing. That's not in the Bible. So what does it mean then? Because it sure looks like that's what it is saying. Well, to understand it, let's look at the second parable because the two really are to be understood together. In the second parable, verse 30, it says, what can we compare the kingdom of God? Uh, what shall we say this rule and reign of God is? It's like a mustard seed, which when it's planted, it's the smallest seed, yet it grows up and becomes a larger tree. So in Jesus's day, the mustard seed was a common uh, picture, common metaphor for something really small. A mustard seed was really small. A millimeter was the size of a mustard seed. It's one twenty-eighth of an ounce. So it takes, if my math's correct, 28 mustard seeds to be an ounce. It is so small. Jesus says it's so small, the smallest thing, and it's planted. And when it's planted, it grows into the largest of garden plants. A mustard bush would be about 10 to 12 feet high. So it starts out with this minuscule, hardly even measurable seed, and it grows into this bush that, that overshadows everything else that is in the garden. In fact, he says it grows so big that the birds of the air can make their nests in it. 
So these two parables about planting go together. The first one says that the kingdom of God is like growing grain. The farmer scatters seed, he goes about his life, and it sprouts and grows, and he doesn't even know how that happens. The second one says the kingdom of God is like something very small, very small, but it grows into something huge by comparison. Starts off small and grows into something huge. They're both about growth. Now, and growing from very small to very big. So what do they mean? Well, sometimes a parable, uh, Jesus or the, the, the gospel writer recording the parable will tell us what they mean. Uh, this time, it doesn't tell us what they mean. But if we consider the rest of the gospels and how Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God and what the people were expecting for the kingdom of God, these two stories explain a lot. The, the people Jesus is teaching are the first century Jews, and they are under Roman rule. This means that the people of Israel pay exorbitant taxes to Rome. Uh, Roman soldiers rule over them. They are in a, uh, I mean, they certainly have freedoms, but they are in nonetheless an oppressive environment where they can't rule themselves. And they are waiting, because the Bible in the Old Testament has promised, they are waiting for a Messiah. They are waiting for someone who will come, and their understanding is that when this rescuer, when this king, when this Messiah comes, what he will do is he will empower the people together to revolt and throw off the Roman rule. They're expecting someone like Moses When the people of God were under uh, Egypt's rule, Moses was raised up, and all of the slaves, uh, the Israelite slaves, were made made free. They They were freed by God. So they're expecting someone like that. They're expecting a new David, a king who would reign in power. So they're expecting someone who will come and change everything, someone who will overthrow Rome, someone who will come with power and authority and will reverse the oppression of Rome. They're expecting things to change. They're expecting a ruler who will make Israel great again. Wink. That's what they are expecting. This is a neutral pulpit that was nothing positive or negative, but they're expecting Israel to be great again, literally like it was in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom has arrived and it's not impressive. Jesus is from a backwater town. He's a carpenter. He's not a king by their standards. He doesn't come with political clout. He's not part of the religious elite. He's a carpenter. And he's from a no-account town called Nazareth. Nazareth. And what's more is he has gathered with him a dozen followers that are not impressive at all. They're fishermen. Um, they are, they're really an eclectic group. Uh, they have people on the political uh, far right of Israel. So they have a zealot who wanted to overthrow Roman government. And then they have uh, someone who would be on the far left as well. Um, or I guess you could switch that depending on the perspective you're looking from. But someone who is a tax collector for the Roman government. So he has people in his band that want to overthrow Rome. And he has people in his band that work for Rome, uh, collecting taxes off their fellow 
uh, Israelites. So it's not an impressive group at all. And so Jesus says, look, you're expecting the rule of God and it's not going to come as you think it's going to come. Jesus is saying, don't rush to judgment. You think you know what God is up to, but you don't. You think you see what the kingdom of God looks like, and it is very small and very insignificant. But I want to tell you something. Think about the little bitty mustard seed. What happens? Something very small becomes something very great. And so Jesus is saying, the rule of God, which you see in me, doesn't look very significant right now, but it's going to grow into something beyond what you can imagine. It's going to grow into something that's going to be significant, that's going to be huge, that's going to be eternal, that's going to be glorious. And so in Jesus, something comes that's very small in their eyes, but it's going to grow to something very big. So for instance, Jesus heals some sick people, but Jesus is bringing the kingdom to all who believe so that one day, one day in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no sickness There will be no sick people. No one will need, no one will suffer, no one will sorrow. Right now, as a sign of the kingdom, the kingdom's already here, and a few people are being healed of leprosy. A few people are raised from the dead. He raises a couple people from the dead. But there's coming a day where everyone who believes in Christ will be raised from the dead, given a resurrection body, and live in the new heavens and the new earth. So something very small, you're just seeing a little bit right now, but it's going to be so significant. Right now, in Jesus' ministry, he's casting devils. He's casting demons out of a few people that are oppressed by Satan. But there's coming a day at his return where he will judge the evil one where he will throw Satan into a lake of fire where Satan will have no temptation or no influence or no power over God's people. He will oppress none of them forever. That's going to be a glorious day. Right now, Jesus in his ministry, or right in the time of his ministry, he is reaching a few outsiders. So there are a few people that are outside the norm, that are victims of societal uh, injustice, people who are rejected, people who are on the outskirts, prostitutes, tax collectors, various people that are the dregs of society, how they would be viewed in this day. He's reaching a few of them. But there's coming a day when every outsider who believes in Jesus will experience absolute justice at his return, will live under his righteous rule forever. He suffers and dies. It looks very small. The the kingdom of God looks very small and maybe completely aborted to the eyes of the uh, person who lacks discernment when Jesus is on the cross. It looks like all these hopes and all these dreams of a kingdom are gone. And when Jesus is buried, it looks very small. But Jesus comes to life. He's raised from the dead and he empowers his followers with the Holy Spirit so that they go out and announce the good news. Jesus is alive, and he is forgiving and granting new life to all who will believe so that all of your life can be changed and repurposed by him. And they share that everywhere. And one day, the Bible says, there will be a day when all who believe in Christ will be before him, and they will represent every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation, is what Revelation says. So right now, it's 12 guys that are not very impressive. And then it is the first believers who are empowered by the Spirit and go out and tell the message. And it's growing, and it's spreading, and one day, there will be representatives before God in heaven worshiping from 
every language, every people group, every tribe, every nation, an international people bought by the blood of Christ and restored to him. So he's saying, don't render judgment on what you think the kingdom of God looks like. It may look very small to you, but this is not the way it's going to remain. Jesus comes and his ministry looks like a mustard seed, but it will become something very, very great. We can be confident that he is at work and that there is a coming harvest. A picture of harvest is a picture of judgment in the Bible. There's a coming judgment ahead. So these two parables, they tell us how God's kingdom works. It looks small and insignificant to those who don't understand. It moves slowly. The growth in this first story, he plants, he, he, day and night he sleeps and wakes up, and there's a process. It moves very slowly. It's not instantaneous, but God is always at work in ways we don't understand and we can't see. See, the, the, the purpose of these two parables is to give us, uh, to, to charge us with both patience that God is at work in ways that we can't see. It may look very small, but something great awaits all who believe. So it is something that moves very slowly from lesser to greater. So be patient. The farmer is to be patient. And secondly, we are to be encouraged. God's reign is growing and expanding by his power, not ours. That's the first parable. The guy doesn't even know how the plant grows. It's an indication that he's not the one making it grow. So God's kingdom is growing and expanding and reaching people. His reign and rule is spreading by his power and not ours. So we're to be patient and we are to be encouraged. Let me make some application along those two lines. I'm going to talk about patience um, regarding the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about encouragement. First of all, patience. We live in a culture that wants everything now, right now. We have instant access to the world's knowledge in our pockets. We, we can just type in, thumb in any word, any topic, any person, and have access to essentially the world's knowledge on that topic. We have instant access in a way that no previous generation could even imagine. We, we expect results right now, and we have little, little patience for waiting. The internet is so slow. I mean, I had to wait three seconds before I got my answer. Are you kidding me? And so, much because of our cultural, and if you're a millennial, you've known nothing else. If you're an old person like me, then you, you have known, you like know what a card catalog is, looking something up at the library and things like this. You, you, know, you, know, you know the major networks having three or four or five channels, not a billion. You know life without an internet um, and all those kinds of things. But if you're a millennial, you've known nothing but instantaneous results. And that affects the way we think as a people. We don't value slow, incremental growth. We don't value that. And yet Jesus says that's what the kingdom's like. He didn't say the kingdom is like a guy who planted a seed and in 0.07 seconds, just like a Google search, there he had a mustard plant. It was amazing. That's not what he says. 
He says, you can't even detect it at points. Some of it's happening under the ground. You don't even know what's going on. You're wondering, is anything going to come up? That's what the kingdom's like. It's, it's not fast. We want measurable results. We want to be able to measure everything. We want metrics that inform us of progress, and we want those now. I want a spreadsheet that shows me the results. I want a chart or a graph that shows me the change and how quickly the change has come about. And Jesus says, well, the kingdom doesn't work on a spreadsheet or a graph. It's much more like a seed under the ground that you can't see, and you don't know what's going on. And you, you finally see it spring up a little bit, and you walk back the next day, and it looks exactly the same. And the next day, and it walks, looks exactly the same. A little, maybe a little bit. It's so slow, you can't even see the growth below the surface. But, but Jesus says, the seed is sprouting while we go about our business. So you're doing your stuff, and God is at work in ways that you and I don't know. That's how the gospel brings about change. It's slow. Perhaps you are praying for someone that you love to receive the good news and believe in Jesus. Maybe there's someone in your life, probably there is. You're a Christian and there's someone in your life that you want to see the kingdom of God come into their lives. You want to see the reality of Christ change them like he's changed you. You You want them to know your Lord You want them to know a clean conscience and forgiveness and the peace that only comes through Christ. You want them to experience the benefits of knowing their creator and receiving new life. And yet, you may have told them, you may have brought them here, they may have heard the gospel, and yet you don't see anything happening. And you're frustrated because you're not seeing change right away. And you can draw encouragement from this passage to be patient because you can't make a seed grow. Only God can do that. The kingdom of God and the expansion of the kingdom of God is something that he does and we don't do. We can't do. And God works on his timetable, not ours. So we can plant seeds and are called to plant seeds. We can water seeds. We can weed the garden. We can till the soil. But we cannot make the plant grow. And that means there's times of waiting. The kingdom of God has a lot of waiting in it. The Christian life has a lot of waiting in it. It has a lot of slow, incremental change. Barring unusual seasons of revival, because there are times when God accelerates the normal work and things happen at a very rapid pace. But normally, the normal life is very slow expansion of the kingdom. There's a Father's Day application to some of us here today. Maybe this Father's Day, you're aware that one or more of your children aren't where perhaps you would hope they would be with the Lord, especially true if you have older children. But maybe, may, maybe you were, your heart for them would be that they'd be at a different place in how they view God and the choices that they're making with regard to uh, honoring the Lord, walking with the Lord, and serving the Lord. And this parable doesn't mean that you shouldn't say anything or you shouldn't do anything. 
Not at all. That's not what it's, it's not a parable about inactivity. It's a parable about the activity of God. And so it means that God works with seed while we sleep and while we rise in ways that we don't know. And they were called to be patient and to wait. It means that God is at work, that God is in control, that God fulfills his plans. And growth may come in ways that we can't even imagine. But if growth comes, it will be the work of God. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, he's not talking as a father, but he's talking as a, uh, someone who preached the gospel. He's talking as a pastor. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, I planted seed. So he started a church, basically. He led people to the Lord and started a church. And he said, I planted, and Apollos, who's another guy, he came around later and he watered. So Paul told them the good news. Apollos came and explained it and helped them apply it in their life and helped them understand what does it mean to follow the Lord. But he said, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul says, look, I, I, Paul's whole, whole ministry is about patience, especially with the Corinthians. I'm waiting for God to bring growth and maturity. I've, I've been active, Apollos has been active, but ultimately only God gives the growth. Dad, you can plant and you can water. That's why we gave you the book we did. It's a bag of seeds. We handed you a bag of seeds today. You can plant and you can water, but you must trust the Lord because you can't bring life and you can't force growth. Only the Lord does that, which makes us all as parents, as friends, as neighbors caring for someone we want to know the Lord or grow in the Lord, as community group members, as, as fellow members in the church, it means that we ultimately are dependent on the Lord, and that is a call to prayer and patience and waiting before Him, because none of us can do what God can do, which is grant life and grant growth. And as I was reading this passage, I felt there are probably some fathers in the room in particular that this, God wants you to be encouraged and strengthened um, to trust him and to wait patiently on him, to, to do what you can do, but to really in a wholehearted way leave results with the Lord because God can do what you can't do. This applies to churches as well. The kingdom of God is not a program or a method that we can import into this church that will just take off and will just change the church overnight. We can't just do something that will create instant maturity. Wow, we all read this one book. We all went to this one conference. We all started this one program. We all did this new thing in children's ministry. We all changed the way we do community groups. And you know what? Boom, instantly, everybody was mature. Everybody was godly. Everybody loved each other. It was like heaven. Order now, 1999, operators are standing by. It's like, this isn't, this isn't as seen on TV, making some kind of crazy claims. But that's what we want. We want numerical growth. We want instant maturity. And the way you get maturity is through pain, 
difficulty, endurance. These are the categories biblically. By, by putting to death the old way and bringing to life the new way, by taking up our cross and following Jesus, this is the path to maturity. And it's slow. It's not quick. It's not easy. It's not found in a microwave. It's not a Google search. It is a long process. And that's the way growth in the kingdom is. It's spreading. It's expanding. It looks very small. It's going to be gloriously enormous one day, but in the process, it's just moving. We must be patient. David Garland in his commentary in Mark 4 said, some may expect to plow the field, plant the seed, reap the harvest, thresh the grain, and bake the cake all in one worship service. (laughs) That's what we want. I read a quote from a a Baptist pastor this week in a book that was talking about advocating slow church growth, advocating slowness in the life of the church. You bet that book's selling a lot of copies. I think (laughs) I have one of the dozen that have been printed. But anyway, this book about slowness, and he told the story about a Southern Baptist pastor in a small Texas town, and he said, people show up here every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. They want a light show, they want exotic music, they want an inspiring talk, and they want to instantly be changed. And he said, that's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not a Sunday, it's a lifetime of Sundays and the six days in between. The kingdom moves slowly. I pray for revival because the Lord does grant accelerated seasons. But no one even in a revival, no one lives in that their whole life. It's a season, it's a moment. It's a special time. God works slowly over time, and if we want real kingdom growth, then we'll want to be a slow church that builds deeply, that builds with quality and care, that that is patient with people because we can't see what God's doing. Impatience is always putting myself on the throne and dictating a timetable to everyone else as opposed to being on my knees before the throne asking the Lord and but trusting him to work in his timetable. Kingdom growth is slow. It, it's, it's being in one place. It's being among one people over long period of time, growing together, helping one another follow Jesus through the difficulties, the highs, and the lows of life. That's kingdom growth. It doesn't sell. It's not popular. Just like they wanted the guy to come in and rescue them all, so do we. We want the plan, the book, the talk, the the sermon, the church, the music, the environment, the people that will all come together and boom, explosion in my life. I'm just overnight a different person. It just does not work that way. So we must be patient. But we must be patient, or not but, and we should be patient, but we should be patiently encouraged. Because both of these parables teach that God is at work. So it's not just you can't affect change, you can't make people believe, you can't spread the gospel and extend the kingdom on your own. That's not the whole message. The message is, but God can, God does, God will, and it's happening right now while you're sleeping and waking. God was at work all over the place while you were asleep last night. That's glorious good news. So you should be encouraged by that. Because we don't have a God who's saying it's all on you. We have a God that calls us to faithful activity, but then through that activity of sharing the gospel, discipleship, uh, these kinds of things, God raises up um, 
Christians and churches and affects nations. God works in amazing ways. There is a mystery to all this, but we should be hopeful. One of my favorite quotes, which I've heard quoted a number of times, uh, I've heard people quote it, but I never read it until this week. I read it quoted in a book. Uh, I've just heard people mention it before, but it's a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther was one of the primary leaders in the Reformation in the 1500s. So what the Lord did was the Lord worked in this man's life. Uh, It was a time in, in the church where broadly people had lost their grip on the gospel. They didn't understand the good news. They weren't living uh, and responding that we become Christians by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. And so God raised up a guy named Martin Luther who really restored that truth to the church. He began to tell people that the way you know God is by believing in the work of Jesus. It's Jesus's performance in in his life, his death, and his resurrection that makes you a Christian. It's not your performance. You can't be good enough. You can't obey the law. He tried. You can't obey the law well enough. You can't pay penance for your own sins to make yourself right with God. It's receiving what Christ did for us. That's grace. And he restored that message by going around and preaching that. And listen to his assessment, because many people would say Luther was so key, and we're here today believing what we believe because of the Lord. Humanly speaking, he, he used Martin Luther. Uh, we're all affected by what I'm teaching today, what we're hearing, what we're believing, what we're singing. We sang a song by him this morning, A Mighty Fortress. I didn't think about that. But we, we even sang a song that this guy wrote in the 1500s. So we're all very affected. So you probably think, man, this guy just must have been the most amazing, you know, out there, make it happen, hands-on kind of manager guys in the world. This is what he said about his work in the Protestant Reformation. Reflecting on the sweeping changes of the Reformation, Luther wrote, all I have done is put forth, preach, and write the word of God. And apart from that, I've done nothing. All I've done is tell what the Bible says. That's all I've done. While I have been sleeping or drinking Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip, It is the word of God that has done great things. I have done nothing. The word has done and achieved everything. He was in the city of Wittenberg. It's not a microbrew. It's not some new uh, (laughs) trendy beer. He he was in the city of Wittenberg. So he said, "I I love this guy. A little Martin Luther. Cheers to Martin Luther today. Because he basically said, look, I came out and announced what the Bible said. Then I went to bed. Then I met my friend down at the pub. Then I went out and preached some more. And God did it all gloriously. He was faithful to do his part, but it was the Lord that changed lives, not Martin Luther, not you, not me. It is the Lord that is at work. So we can be encouraged. Here's something else we can be encouraged about, that even in seasons of difficulty, when it looks like, where is the Lord? God is at work. And sometimes it is most in your season of difficulty that God is at work. Think about this. In the book of uh, Philippians, Paul writes, he's in jail. Here's what happened to Paul. Paul gets jailed for being a preacher. Paul goes out, teaches the, uh, the good news, and he is imprisoned for his faith. And then here's what he writes about being in a jail. In Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. 
He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's what he says. You guys feel bad for me. Thank you. You care for me. I'm in prison. But here's what I want to tell you, that me going to a prison has advanced the gospel. Now, see, we would never think that. We think that is a terrible thing. He's being persecuted. Oh, it's over. The guy who's taken the gospel to all the Gentiles, now he's in jail. It's game over. What's going to happen? He's saying, the Lord, the, 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 the mustard plant is growing while I'm in prison. The, the plant, you can't see how it's working. I couldn't see how it was working, but I'm planting seed and it's growing while I'm in prison. Prison can't stop the seed from growing because what's happening is now all the guards have heard the gospel. And because everyone has seen me share the gospel with guards, now everybody else is bold. Now everybody else is talking about Christ and it's expanding exponentially. Why am I telling you this? Well, be encouraged. Even in your difficulty, the Lord wants to take your suffering, take your sorrow, take your grief, take your limitations, and he wants to use that as a means to expand the kingdom so that you can glorify the Lord and you can help others in their need. You can communicate the gospel to them. When Paul could have been thinking, where is God? When Paul could have been saying, why has God left me? He is instead saying, the gospel is advancing. The kingdom plant is growing. It's expanding. And it's not based on it's not based on Paul's access, it's not based on his skills, it's not based on his abilities, it's not based on his circumstances, it's not based on his situation. It's based on him simply taking the seed and scattering it faithfully and God doing what God does with scattered seed. What does it mean to scatter seed? What does it mean to, to plant the mustard seed? Well, Jesus ultimately, I believe his ministry, his announcement is that mustard seed. It is the seed that's planted that grows. But the beginning of the chapter identifies the scripture, the Bible, as seed. And so really it's taking that word and seeking to share it, to plant it, to help others. And we do that, uh, we don't just do that by spouting off Bible to people, but we scatter seed, we ultimately create a context to scatter seed by building relationships. We love and serve and care for people that need the kingdom, people that need Jesus. We listen more than we talk. That old adage, which is trite, but every Christian we need to hear it, that the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth. So we should be doing at least twice the amount of listening that we are speaking. So we listen and we understand and we take time to get to know people. We're not rushing and cramming to instantaneously close the deal. Is there any way you wouldn't agree to this right now? You know, no, this is some kind of high-pressured sales pitch we're building relationships. There's an, we're, we're looking for the Lord to be at work. We're giving of ourselves. We're extending hospitality with open arms. We're training our children day in, day out, a little bit at a time, even when we don't see any growth or any change by faith. We're just uh, telling them about Christ and instructing them in the word of God. We're loving our spouse 
We're helping another believer follow Jesus. We're being a good neighbor and a good co-worker around others, fulfilling all the callings that the Lord has given us in our home, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, so that we're bearing light in the darkness and we are telling the good news to others. And then we are trusting as we go about our lives, as we seek to be a light in the darkness, as we do uh, totally regular, mundane things like waking and sleeping, we trust that God is at work and the kingdom is expanding. And when a whole church does that, and when a whole city full of churches does that in their daily lives, wherever they go, trusting the Lord, praying, encouraged, being patient, loving those who don't know the Lord, uh, walking with and helping those who do with the seed, scattering the seed, then then the kingdom is expanding exponentially in ways we don't see and we don't know. That's what Jesus wants us to know. He wants to stir our faith. And we do that knowing that a harvest is coming. That's what he says. When it's full grown, the harvest comes and uh, the Lord returns and brings everything to an end. So if you don't know the Lord, that is a warning, an urgent warning to all of us to respond to him, to believe in him, to trust in him, to accept the work of Christ, to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose to defeat them and to turn from your sin and receive the gift of what he's done for you before the harvest comes. Because once the harvest comes, then there's judgment. There's not an opportunity at that point. So I really think we should be encouraged by what the Lord says that he's doing. Here's how Paul says in Galatians, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do not grow weary. Why? Because God is at work. God's timetable is not our timetable. You can't see what the Lord's doing under the surface. You can't always measure the growth from one day to the next uh, when the plant is growing. It may look very small what the Lord's doing, but it's going to be expansive in eternity in a new heavens and new earth. So be encouraged. Be patient. Trust the Lord. Don't give up. Even your difficulties, view them as this is, a, this is an opportunity in some way for the kingdom to expand. If I can thank the Lord in my difficulty, if I can look to the Lord in my trial, then I will represent that there's something more valuable to me than my own comfort and my own way. There's, there's someone more valuable to me. And that will be a witness even in my hardest time, Paul in jail. It also means that while I'm to be serious and active, there's also just a rest and a grace that comes here that Martin Luther can say, I just preached the gospel, and then I had a cold one and trusted the Lord. He could just say that and trust the Lord and watch the Lord work in an amazing way. There's a rest, there's a lack of sort of striving to to make things happen. There's diligence, there's faithfulness, there is effort, but most of all, there must be faith because your effort cannot convert, your effort cannot force change. It can only be the seed that the Lord uses himself to bring change. Thus, we're dependent and must be in prayer and must be expecting and must be patient. In every parable, I've given some very tangible things to do. Read this, do this exercise. Here's here's what I think these call us to do. Be encouraged. Be patient. Read this passage and think about it and trust that the Lord is at work. Never use that as an excuse for apathy or laziness or sloth. 
But equally, never trust your own efforts to produce change in expanding the kingdom. The Lord is the one that brings the growth and the expansion. So trust him. Look to him. Rest in him. And if you're a parent today or a friend or someone that's on your heart is very far from the Lord, very far from the Lord, you pray and ask the Lord what you could say, what you could do, how you could help, how you could love, how you could mirror the gospel. I don't know what you should say or do in that circumstance. I'm not in the circumstance that you particularly have, so I can't tell you exactly what you should and shouldn't do. But I can tell you this, that you can pray and trust the Lord to effect new life through the seed that is there on the surface, and that you can be patient, waiting for Him to work and love Him in the meantime. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.